Well, um, welcome to the uh, Scale Model World podcast uh, with your co-hosts, uh, David Hull from Toro Models and Wayne Green from the World of Wayne. Oh, hi, Wayne. Hello, everybody. The Scale Model World podcast. Well, uh, again, uh, thanks for uh, for joining us, everyone, for this uh, latest uh, episode. Uh, so we're up to episode five. Uh, so that's uh, that's an interesting number, I guess. Uh, we're uh, sort of cracking uh, cracking on with these. Uh, um, what I would say to everyone, as I always do at the beginning of these, is um, yeah, please do get in touch. Um, um, the, I think the audience at the moment have been kind of quiet. Uh, they they haven't been doing that, and I would really uh, you know encourage you to uh, you know, come come back to us with any questions or queries. Um, really about anything about uh, you know, related to model making uh, hasn't got to be just part working. It could be plastic model kits uh, as well, and anything that's uh, sort of um, uh, related. And we will endeavour to uh, come back with you uh, with a response in a in a future episode. Um, as this is you know this is really uh, is a podcast for you know, for everyone isn't it it's uh, it's not just uh, you know just for us to have a natter about uh, uh, model making uh, it's absolutely for for you guys who are listening in the in the community uh, and you can find uh, you know contact details across both of our uh, websites and, and our channels so do get uh, get in touch with us if you you do have any uh, questions and queries now, uh, in this episode, we, we do have a, uh, an interesting special guest, uh, which we will talk about uh, in a little bit. Um, it's uh, Northern James Franks, the CEO of Agora Models, who's uh, going to be uh, talking to us uh, a little bit later on. Um, but before we do that, uh, I guess we, uh, we used to have a little bit of a preamble uh, about what we've been doing. So um, what you been up to this week, Wayne? Well, I have just finished the Ecto-1, which I'm very happy to have finished mm. because a, it was the longest build that's ever been on the channel. Yeah. I think it was clocking in three to four years. It was taking wow. up so much room in my workshop, which I haven't got. So now uh, I've got that freed up. I can actually walk around, which is brilliant. I can yeah. actually use my paint station, which is even better as yeah. well. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I've been preparing um, some new models that I'm building. Uh, namely, mm. I'm building Maximilian from the Black Hole. Yes, I'm doing that with indeed. my 3D printer. Um, yes, yes. From Cosmic Scale Models, I've got the uh, Eagle 5, Spaceballs Eagle yep. 5, which I'm going to be building. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've kind of like diversed a little bit this week from the part work and the build-up side models uh, to mm. the actual kit and garage kit models. So uh, it's quite a quite an interesting time. <laughs> How do you feel about that when you, um, I mean, you finished Ecto. Um, was it sort of sort of relief? Uh, what, where, what, what's the, what, what are your feelings when you finish one of those? Uh, is it like, oh, that's over with, move to the next one? Or do you take some time to buy the model and say, yeah, we put that together? Um, or does it depend on how the builds come? Was it, if it was a difficult build or an easy build? Um, what, what kind of emotions go through your head when you finish one? Well, so, sometimes it's, uh, it's it's really emotional. If you ever seen my Millennium Falcon build, the first one I ever did, I was in physical tears at the end of that. And that's mainly because of things that were going on in my life at the time of building that video. Uh, with the Ecto-1, obviously, it was a relief. And I did get a, uh, you know, I said at the yeah. end of the video, I got a bit of a, a lump in my throat because, again, that took so long. So much has yeah. happened. And it was something that I didn't think was going to get finished, uh, what with okay. the demise of Eagle Moss. So I'm glad Fan Home mm. uh, brought it up. Um, sometimes they're a passion product. Passion yeah. projects yeah. as well, so yeah. that I'm happy yeah. that I'm doing it, and uh, it is sad to see that that's now finished. But I do have that sort of interpretation of what am I building next, so it's kind of excitement as well. Um, but the, I, th there's been very rare that I've had a model that I thought, oh, I'm glad that's finished with. I've, Normally, I get those sort of feelings when I've uh, embarked on a wooden ship build. Oh, I, or do you actually mention ships? Because uh, I was I was looking at uh, that as a a kind of uh, subject for me. Uh, I've often looked at uh, you know, galleons and anything with rigging, that kind of thing. Because I, I do like the fiddly stuff. Uh, I do. It's a nightmare. 
it, it like does my head in, but in the end, I, I quite like that. And you can't get more fiddly than rigging on a galleon, for instance. Mm. Um, I mean, I think there's a there's something new from Airfix. So they've got a, a new ship model, um, a 180 scale, uh, which I've been looking at uh, interestingly. But of course, ships and uh, and you, Wayne, uh, you have one, and <laughs> it's like. It, it's like, are you kind of ignoring that or are you keeping that under wraps? It's like, do I or don't I? All I'm going to say, Dave, is that at the moment, Bonfire Night's coming up. So I don't want to start anything that close to Bonfire Night for obvious reasons because my last two wooden ship efforts have uh, ended in a bonfire. You, 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 can't, you can't burn an unmade kit in a crate. You can't do that, can you? Can you do that? Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> The, the kit I've got here is the Sovereign of the Seas. So this is the yes. uh, the, the old yeah. Diagos, the model space. Uh, I've had it yeah. for a while. It was actually given to me by a viewer called John Russell. Um, but mm. because I've had so much in the workshop and, you know, it, things yeah. got on top of it, so well, I didn't, yeah. I forgot all about it, to be honest with you. And I found oh, okay. it again in, in a in a storage tub. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've got mm. the full Sovereigns of the Seas. Now, do I start that? Because when you start a wooden ship, it's you're talking mm. five to six years of your life easy, I reckon. Because yeah, it's not something right. you could just do in one go, especially when you're yeah. waiting for planks to dry and the bending and yeah. stuff like that it's going to take yeah. years and then you've got the rigging which from what i understand i haven't experienced it myself is a project in itself it's a building itself it's so uh, but yes. uh, i mean some absolutely. of these ships look they're, they're follies i think they're follies i think that's the way to to look at them that this is something that's going to be your legacy that you'll be passing on to kids when you these <laughs> so <laughs> Well, um, I'm undecided uh, because I do tend to flit around. Uh, I do, uh, you know, lots of different kinds of things, depending on what sort of takes my fancy. Uh, I mean, when people ask me, so, well, I tend to be sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, that's kind of a specialism. But then I go and build a car or, or, <laughs> or I'll, I'll, build some, I'll build some armor. Or uh, they go, oh, really? Um, so, you know, when are you going to build your eagle? Uh, it's in the stash. You know, it will get there. Or whatever it is. Um, and ships, of course, have sort of been on my radar for, for several years. I built them when I was a kid. Uh, but, of course, the kits were much, much simpler then. They really were. Um, they were not at the level that we you know, we have uh, today. So um, I may sort of segue into that when I when I have the sort of space ho ho in my in my schedule. Um, but I, I always wanted to do that sort of build at least when I got back into the hobby to build one of pretty much everything. You know, a car, a, a bike, a, 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 a airplanes, a, a tank, yeah. just to get back into it. But um, you, you kind of. I guess fall back into whatever attracts you at the when you were younger or whatever you were building build when you were when you were there. And I, yeah. I was building anything that was sci-fi then, anything that was uh, armor related, that kind of thing. Never built air when uh -huh. I was a kid. Um, yeah, they didn't really attract to me. But these days, I'm attracted to the detail which they they pack in the Corsair engines, for instance. Amazing yeah. stuff you can do with uh, with all the 3D printed stuff. Um, and of course, Airfix are doing this, uh, going back into their archive, aren't they? I saw the the, the old Airfix right, hovercraft yeah. from the sixties, which I, I'm <laughs> sure I built that as an original kit when it came out. I'm sure I did. That's partly the reason why I'm building a lot of these black black hole figurines, like Vincent yeah. and yeah. and Maximilian and even Bob, because it, it, it does it remind me of my childhood. And I think there's some there's such a place for retro at the moment. And for me, retro is like late seventies, early eighties. Um, I know for others, they love the Irwin Allen era, the sixties and seventies sort of, of thing. Course. So, of course, so it's uh, <clears throat> and and the Thunderbirds and uh, all of the. Well, everyone everyone always says that on your on your channel, don't they? Uh -huh. um, it, it comes up regularly. What would you build? And it tends to be that, doesn't it? Yeah. It is something like of the Giants or um, Voice at the Bottom of the Sea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the, all of this stuff was on when we were kids. Uh -huh. um, 
and some kits were made. They were uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, there is a, there was there is a black hole. Uh, there were several kits, yeah. but yeah, you know, they aren't they aren't very uh, they aren't very detailed and stupidly expensive these days. If you want an original one, I mean, really, they they are collectibles yeah. in their own right. Um, I don't think I'd drop three hundred quid on a kit and then build it <laughs> if it no. was a vintage. But I do wonder. I do wonder. Is it the kit that's the money, or is it the box art? Because just like LPs Ooh. and stuff, you know, people are really yeah. after the album covers rather than the records. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, FX guys collect the the box art. They really do because mm-hmm. uh, some of that is uh, is very very. In fact, I think I've got a couple of uh, coffee table books of oh. uh, FX uh, box art, um, which were produced, and mm-hmm. it is amazing. Uh, yeah, very very impressive. So yeah, yeah, it, it may be, it may be, yeah, it may be absolutely right. Um, it, it depends on what it is. Um, I mean, for me, um, last week was um, not a great deal because I was uh, I was busy with other things. But um, what I'm going to do over the weekend is finish the DeLorean. Hey, finally! Oh wow! Cool. Um, <laughs> at least so one thirty is that? Are you doing just up, up to one thirty? Uh, yeah, right. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not going beyond that. I'm quite happy with the basic uh, uh, the basic car. Um, I'm not going to do anything else to it. I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. I'm quite happy with with that as it as it is. Um, so I'm very very happy to finish <laughs> that and then. Um, uh, Find somewhere displayed, which would be not quite nice. But yeah, how long is that? Two plus years yeah. to to to, fi- to finish that, and that can um, be a fun old build after issue ninety one. <clears throat> <clears throat> Once you've got through that, you're, it's it's just plain sailing. But yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I went back and looked at obviously your uh, your videos as sort of guidance. Uh, and when I was doing all of the uh, you know the wire work on the uh, on the interior, yeah. um, I kind of rattled through that and I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, whereas you were, you were li- literally uh, having an absolute nightmare to try and get this thing through. Um, but I found it quite 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 cathartic actually, um, uh-huh. fiddling with all this this uh, these wires etc., trying in the right place. Um, <laughs> But I kind of like that. I kind of like uh-huh. uh, you know, the fiddly, the fiddlier the better. Yeah. Or um, some spring pinging off everywhere every five minutes. I think I think back then when I did that issue forty eight that you're on about with the wires was because um, I hadn't I had acknowledged to myself that I'm getting older and my eyesight isn't what it is. So since Good then, seat. obviously, I've in, I've invested in magnifying glasses and that Indeed. enables me to actually see. So I'm hoping it will be as therapeutic as you've had it with your experience. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because that's right. Because I built that with a um, you know a, a LED four times magnification. <laughs> um, um, and I, all of that, um, and obviously my, my specs on, so I didn't have to sort of worry about seeing yeah. stuff because I, you're right. I mean, I've realised <laughs> that you can't see it, you can't build it, guys. You know, uh, so you have to, <laughs> you know, it's kind of fundamental. If it was, yeah, you have to be able to see it. So lots of light and lots of magnification. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, mean, I build you know, one thirty fifth scale figures, so trying to paint one thirty fifth scale faces requires magnification. Um, so yeah. yeah, you have to, you have to do all that. It's absolutely essential. So that's kind of uh, the, the weekend, I think. By uh, by the time uh, we get to sort of Monday, I'll have the, the Dorian uh, finished. Um, and that's kind of what's next, um, because I, I've been doing um, Tumblr in bits yeah. as, it, as it's come. Um, and I've um, obviously, I think I've got to the next pack of uh, Robocop. Yeah, yeah, that's here. Uh, but I've got pretty much everything uh, for Kit. Wow. So that might be next. Yeah. Um, I mean, jumping ahead a little bit, uh, we were we were speaking to uh, someone else uh, in the next episode, and he was uh, talking about uh, building stuff in stages, like having lots of stages together, uh-huh. and then doing the whole thing almost like a almost like a complete kit, so you don't have to wait. Um, yeah. But I did. I, I didn't do that with kit. I did it with kit because I didn't want the experience of having to take it apart and put a mod in. Yeah. Because I learned that from the DeLorean. Yeah. And I think uh-huh. you. I think that's one of your advices. If you are going to mod something. 
try and get the mods first before you build stuff. Otherwise, we'd say they'd lower it. You'd be taking it to part every five minutes yeah. to put a, new, put a new mod in. And you I are hate doing that. Ris- yeah, and, <laughs> and you're risking you know, shorting a wire or something won't work, mm-hmm. which is which is no. not good on these ridiculously complicated wiring for, for these for these <laughs> things. So that's kind of why I've waited with Kit. It's just get all the mods together that I want, and then I can build the whole thing pretty much uh, straight through to finished. And I think yeah. we're nearly there. I think it's about, I think about 90, 94, 95. Uh, um, There's not uh, many left now. Of, I think. Yeah, not many yeah. left now. So, I've, I've just attached the rear the rear wings. Yeah. I think we just got the boot yeah. area to do, and then it's just piecing the yeah. car together, mm-hmm. and that's no, no, it then. So. Yeah, so it's nearly there, but it's a, it's a sea of boxes in my uh, in my workshop. I have no idea where you put them uh, in yours, to be honest. Uh, doing 23 <laughs> builds, I believe it's up to now, as you yep. pull the trigger on ET. Yeah. I'm going yep, to try did. I'm going to try and do another uh, social media post showing the stack of boxes that I've got now because it is it's yeah. like a monument. I said I said on my live stream uh, last <laughs> night it's up there with the Empire State Building, the pyramids yeah, of Giza. <laughs> is it stable though? Is it Pisa? Is it leading? Uh, it's stable. It's against two walls. Stable. So um, oh, yeah. oh, well, oh so yeah, it's fine, in a corner. Yeah, absolutely so, right. But you know, if yeah, it falls, fine. then uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. Right? That's what I'm thinking about next because I'm finished the Um but I've got to display it, and uh, I've got to look for shelving that's going to take the weight. Yeah. Because my uh, you know my standard um, uh, bookshelves, no chance, no. no chance at all. So I have to find something to to take the uh, take the weight of these things, but not just one. There'll be you know several. Uh, yeah. So I'm looking for um, yeah pretty I guess industrial shelving, which doesn't make. But well, the two uh, slot shelving sort of... system that I have in the workshop that you see behind mm. me when I'm doing my things they, mm. they 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 hold loads absolutely loads they have to be in the studs of walls though absolutely yes and i think that's the thing i was looking at you and i thought but they are really flimsy how is, on earth is that staying up with the weight but it's got to be put yeah. up correctly of course um, yeah. that's that's the that's the key but displaying your models of course is uh uh is something we're going to talk about in a um, in a future in a future episode Regular listeners will know that Agora Models are sponsors of this podcast, but on this occasion, they are given the space over to two modelling charities who deserve our support. Help Heal Veterans in the US and Models for Heroes in the UK are two charities that offer help for ex-service personnel and military veterans to overcome trauma, both mental and physical, they have suffered through their services. They do this by utilising creativity as a therapy tool, providing model kits to those in need. Making models have been shown to help manage post-traumatic stress syndrome, improve concentration and motor skills. Additionally, utilising model making as an intervention activity increases happiness and social inclusion. Find out more and support them, maybe even donating some unwanted kits, please visit healvets.org in the US or modelsforheroes.org UK in the UK. Many thanks. Uh, well, uh, we've come to the uh, point in the show where we uh, welcome our special guest. Um, today, uh, we have, uh, I, I guess, the big scale supremo, um, James Franks, uh, the CEO of Agora Models. Well, uh, welcome, James. Hi, guys. Uh, really Hi. glad to be here. Hi, James. Well, well thanks for joining us, sir, James. We uh, we kind of wanted you to uh, to sort of get someone on from, from Agora. Um, I guess because uh, you're making, I guess, waves in the big scale models slash part works, whatever you want to call those. Um, it, it's it's kind of a business which has kind of come along and... For me, it's kind of transformed the the marketplace, particularly for for you know for part workers uh, out there. Um, before we sort of get into our sort of conversation, sort of about all things part work and big scale model, um, what's uh, what's your background, James? What's uh, what sort of brought you to uh, to Gora? Maybe what were you? Uh, what was your sort of previous life uh, before you got involved with uh, with the Gora models? Um, 
Well, I started my work life in marketing uh, and for a Carlsberg Brewery, the big boys in a lager in Denmark. Um, uh, And then lived in Burton-on-Trent for work for Allied Brewery. So big background in uh, brewing, really. Uh, Then moved to London and worked in publishing. And then from there, worked for a Norwegian company in in, uh, Gold and Silver and eventually ended up at Agora. Wow, that's a uh, that's a bit of a segue, isn't it? Uh, from uh, yeah, brewing into precious metals and then into uh, big scale models. Um, that's uh, that's an interesting uh, career path there. Um, so, so w- what was the attraction for for Agora? Um, I mean, you're the CEO, so clearly you uh, have uh, an interest in the in the subject matter, um, or do you? Or do you see it as a, a sort of business opportunity, or is model making something that you've been immersed in for you know, for for a while, but obviously not in your professional life until Agora? Um, I've always been into modelling. I think I can trace it back to one Christmas. I would have been about six or seven years old, I guess. And for some reason, my parents bought me a big Airfix model kit. It was it was the um, D-Day diorama, Ooh, if I yes. remember correctly. Yes. Kind mm, of, wow. I don't know if they still do it. It was like they a fortress. Yes. Yeah, it, all, yeah. it, was, it was a fortress with like two guns in it. And then a small um, gun emplacement with trenches and like loads of soldiers. I think it was 176 scale, probably. And it was great. Uh, So it's a bit of model being, I think there's a couple of tanks or something in there. There's loads of little soldiers. And I just played with that for months and months and months. And that got me into model building and i think from there he kind of started buying or, or at that age getting given airfix and revel models i remember spitfire sherman tank leopard tank even aircraft carrier um i think i then moved on to making i, I tell you what i really like making the german bombers from world war ii for some reason mm-hmm. i think they were really varied i remember that, that the hankel 111 that had glass in the front Mm, yeah, Midshipman yeah. Night Fighter, yeah. then then the Flying Fortress and Lancaster, of course. So it was all those kind of very typical plastic kits. Um, then when I was about 11, 12, I got a Saturday job. I remember what I used to do every Saturday, just do the little job, get paid, and get some cash in a little envelope, and get the bus into the town centres of the model store that was there. Yeah, and that was that was great. Uh, you don't really get them these days. It's really I wish there were store. more model shops around now because you, you don't see them. You have to go to specific locations to see them or events like the uh, the the model show coming up in November. It's uh, it's sad. It it's is, sad. and it, they're like for little kids. You go into them, and there's, there's there's remote control planes hanging from the ceiling, remote control buggies. There's wooden kits, plastic kits. I remember just looking at all the plastic kits and as you go into a record store and you look at all the sleeves of the records, you know, I'd be going to the model store looking at all the, <laughs> yeah. all the pictures on the front. Like, oh, I want that one. And I tend to buy every week just one small kit with the money I had and maybe one paint. And then gradually I build up a collection of paints uh, mm-hmm. and a collection of tiny little models and then occasionally save up for bigger ones. Um, but yeah, so I got into it at a really early age. Yes, and that, I think that mirrors um, a lot of people's um, 
experience of listening to this. Absolutely. That was me. I tripped down to the local model shop, or it was a toy shop with a model area. Um, $1.99 for a, for a kit in a plastic bag and a, maybe a couple of pots of Humbrol uh, enamel. Um, and that did me for the week, and that was kind of that was the that was kind of the mantra for you know for Saturday, Saturday morning, to then build the thing on a Sunday or, or you know through the week, depending on how complicated it uh, it was. Um, so that was kind of your background. So so how did Agora come about then? Were you um, were you approached? Did you approach? Um, I'm, I'm very interested to find out how you then connected uh, with, with Agora um, because obviously they are not in the scale in the plastic uh, kit uh, kit marketplace. They're in a quite a different uh, you know in a different space. Um, they're allied absolutely, and we've had conversations on this uh, this podcast about you know, the connection with with plastic kits and and uh, and, and to you know, the part work world. Um, yeah, but for you, was uh, was did that just come up, or um, yeah, uh, were you even headhunted? So, I think Agora stems for me uh, from two places. One is that childhood kit building yeah. upbringing I had. And I think looking back, yeah, it's great fun building them, but you just got glue. Well, I did got glue everywhere, particularly on the cockpit windows. I still do, James. I still do. <laughs> Painting was terrible. It was really fun to do, but I because I only used the colours I actually had, which were not the same as the colours you're supposed to do. Them. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and I'd make. I remember all. So it had like loads of little tiny soldiers that goes with them, and so all the Germans were painted blue, all the Americans and British were green, and for some reason, all the Japanese were painted a sand yellow colour. <laughs> And everyone had black boots and black weapons, and that was it. So I always kind of um, loved building the models, but the final item was not so great. I think that's one of the pillars of Agora was you kind of uh, get a model at the end of it yeah. that is really good, the, fin- the finished item. The, the, other, the, the other kind of route to Agora is you probably remember model space. Indeed. Um, so I, I actually invented and created model space back in 2008, nine. Um, so that, that was an idea I had and I worked for a big corporation and uh, so I didn't have any ownership of model space, but uh, they gave me no budget, but said, yeah, go for it. So I wrote the website, photographed all the products, wrote everything for the site and got it going. Um, I did that for three or four years, but I, I don't think uh, it was going in the direction I wanted. So I kind of left in about 2012. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of the tying up between my old passion and disasters for modeling and then the model space that I'd created led me in a kind of roundabout way to joining up with Agora. Well, I, I I find that that's that's an interesting um, route as well. Um, also, that idea that with um, with the Gora models uh, that, uh, that you guys produce. Um, I mean, you've, you spent, you you actually you mentioned this a lot, haven't you, Wayne? That uh, the thing with uh, with the big scale model, you know, with the part work, is you can kind of see what it's going to be. Um, whereas with a plastic kit, there's some box yep. art and a bunch of parts in a box. And it's that, oh, am yep. I going to get it as good as the box art? And uh, as you say, James, often, unless you have a lot of skill and you're going to put, you know, sometimes decades of, of, of practice in, into, into, your, into your models, probably not. Um, whereas with, with a large-scale model, of course, um, that's not the case. You, you you are going to end up with a uh, with a with a museum scale, with a museum quality uh, model, if you can wield a, a screwdriver and follow instructions 
you know, in its in its basic form, that's kind of all the skill you need, isn't it? Exactly. I think that the museum quality is a word and phrase I use a lot online, mm. uh, and that's not marketing speak. It is really Absolutely. my personal aim yeah. because that's, yeah. that's yeah. what I want. It's there's no painting, very little gluing, uh, and anyone can build it with with a great result. And to me, it's it's not the fight. It's not actually fun thing. It's the hobby of building. Uh, yeah. and, and as you say, you kind of see see images online, you see videos, and you see Wayne building them and, uh, and other people, and think, well, actually, mine's going to look like that as well, and I'll be yeah. proud to put it on my shelf. Mm. And you know, when people come around your house and see them, they go, "Wow, yeah, where'd you get that?" You say, "Well, I built it." And I go, "No way." <laughs> mm. Yeah, you know what? For me, the initial draw for part work models was size and and build up models because you don't see model kits from Ravel or Airfix in the sort of sizes yep. that you do get these build up models in. And it's uh, uh, that, that's what initially drove me. But I've got to ask, James, where does the name Agora come from? Uh, well, Wayne, you know Claire. Um, it's, yeah. She came up with the idea. And actually, Agora means it's a Greek word, and it's a kind of meeting place and a marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the towns in ancient Greece, in the centre, you'd, you'd have this meeting place where people go and talk mm. and talk politics but also sell things and i kind of that really fitted the ethos of what we are because yes we sell model kits but also yeah. we kind of we really like the community aspect of what we do chatting with people uh getting ideas across seeing what everyone's doing so it's that community feel as well as selling stuff because it's, it's a very unique name as well. But um, the, the other thing to ask with that is because of the pandemic and COVID hit him, when, when did actually Agora come up with that first Super Snake model? Because I cannot remember. <laughs> How long ago was that? So that was about three months before the world shut down. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeez. it was committed. It was on the boat going to the various places. Uh, and I think that to see if... If Agora had been doing this product six months earlier or six months later, it probably wouldn't have happened when it did, but it was committed. It, it had to go on sale. Yeah. Uh, the, the pandemic couldn't do anything about it. Uh, so it went on sale and it did really well. And, uh, whether that was to do with the everyone being at home or not, it, we'll never know because... Agora wasn't around before then, so there's nothing to measure it against. Um, yeah. Who would have known how quickly Agora grew or not? I think that's right. But I think also um, you guys came along and you looked at, I guess, the incumbents in the marketplace. So, well, what are they doing not very well? And uh, what are they? What can we do that uh, sort of resolves that? You know, this anxiety about, am I going to be able to finish this model? Um, that was a that was a big thing, maybe a you know less than a decade ago. If you were going to start these kind of things, <laughs> would the company still be around to finish this stuff? Uh, and we've had a debacle recently, um, and that's been resolved uh, thankfully. But <laughs> there was that that anxiety, wasn't it? Um, but I think Agora came along and said, "Well, we can we can remove that anxiety by uh, by promising that this will continue." You know, the Agora promise, and that's that's kind of. I think that's the bedrock of why maybe you guys have been so successful because uh, you're committed to say it's, it's going to happen. You know, the, it's a case of if we, if we announce something, it will complete and you will have a finished model on your shelf. That's, that's the promise, isn't it? Yeah, well, we kind of launch products and models that we really want to build ourselves. Mm, yeah. So I build everything. 
I've built three Jaguars. I built more Jaguar <laughs> wheels than, than that because I get some some people, some customers have a bit of difficulty with them. So I uh, <laughs> build a few, send them out. Um, but so I build everything uh, and love building them. And we don't have accountants breathing down our necks saying, oh, we, you've got to stop publishing that one or whatever because it's not selling very well. Uh, we just we have faith in our product we love them mm. we commit to manufacture the whole thing and we we, we launch it and um we we sell full packs when as soon as we can uh we sell them in 12 per 12 packs one a one a mm-hmm. yep. one a month <laughs> um so yeah we we just completely love our products and uh commit to them what is the journey of a model then, uh, James? As in, like, from uh, the impetus stage of I'd like to see this as a model to following it through to making it, producing it, milling it, getting it to publishing and getting it out there? Because I haven't got a clue. We, we keep asking this in every podcast, even the licensing part, we haven't got a clue about how it gets from just an idea to in someone's house building. First of all, you've got to come up with the idea, uh, which I think if you took a time machine and went back to my bedroom as a kid and looked at all the posters on the wall, you'd get a good idea of what we've got coming up. Uh, so James Bond, (laughs) James Bond, always loved James Bond. And I think, well, I'd so much like to do some James Bond cars. So when there's a license involved, which there's always at least one license, so with the DB5, you have a license uh, with Aston Martin, yep. and then you have a license with Eon. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you have to secure those two licenses first, uh, which various, which can take anything from a few months to years, um, mm. depending yeah. on the, the, the particular license or you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, then once that's in place, uh, you, you kind of get cracking. And the first stage is to find the real car and 3D scan it. So you have to get access to the actual car. Um, so with the DB5, the, the Bond one, we have to work with Eon to get the car that's actually in the movie. And there's actually several cars in the movie. Um, with other cars like the Super Snake, there is only one in existence in the world. I was going to say, yeah, they're quite rare. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and yeah, all our cars, all our cars are quite rare. Even the Cobra, there's, there's only thirty odd of that particular model made. Mm, yeah. So we have to track down the actual car, and we have to get the owner to allow us to go and scan it. Um, and uh, yeah, so Shelby were really great. They 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 had this most expensive ever Mustang. Uh, they said, yeah, just come on, ha- have a look at it, scan it, take photos, do whatever you like. Uh, Eon, likewise, they they allowed us access to their warehouses to find the cars. Wow. So we, we get a, a 3D laser scanner, and it's not one of these handheld ones. These are The laser scans we use are from the medical and aerospace industries. Mm. So yep. their resolution is magnitudes higher than the scanners that you would get online uh, it's thousands and thousands of times the resolutions we get it, 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 it's too much for what we actually need uh but we have to go down that level uh that route to get the level we, we require mm-hmm. so the whole car is 3d scanned uh, and actually there's some pictures of that on one of our blogs of how, how that's done yeah, yes so that from that 
that creates a computer model of the scanned vehicle. We then have to turn that into a computer model of a one-to-eight version because the one-to-eight version is different. Some things don't scale down. Uh, yeah. yeah, a real screw at one-to-eight size is going to be minute. Yes, uh, and then, then we have to break it down into parts that are sensible for a model. Uh, and and that can be then made by uh, the builder. So that takes quite a bit of time and quite a bit of skill to turn it into a computer model of a one to eight model. Then the construction sequence needs to be worked out of well, how are you actually going to construct this as, mm. a, as a customer? Mm. Uh, but the next stage is we then have to create the molds. So there are five, 600 parts generally. Each part needs mold. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine the mold. So if you imagine like making jelly or jello for our American listeners, you, you get a jelly mold, you put jelly in, turn it over, and that's it. The molds we have are utterly different. They're steel. Some of them are four foot by four foot, way over a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're... I've seen them making them. They, they go to like a foundry to be made. And yes. it, 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 so you cast these big steel molds and then you get a couple, it's in two parts generally, a top and a bottom. So, so you close them and you get guys with sledgehammers whacking the side of it to make them fit properly. It's kind of, yes. it, it's mixing modern computer technology with very traditional <laughs> skills. Um, and so, we then create, so we've got all the molds for different molds for different materials, of course. So by this point, us and anyone else has spent several hundreds of thousands making all this. And we haven't even made a single part yet. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and we then, from that, we then make the parts. And they're not big quantities, and there's a lot of hand finishing done. Um, so there's not great economies of scale here. So the the parts then come out in either their, their basic material, so, so just metal uh, for the bodywork, which is then sprayed. And they're sprayed like a real car. So mm-hmm. they have several coats mm-hmm. or, or, or with big sprays. And we use the same paint. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, investigation in the, the color of the paint to match the real thing uh, and, and to get the finish. Uh, and that's that. I mean, that's really important for me because that's the kind of thing that, I have no chance of doing at home spraying, yeah. spray painting anything. So only a few people have the real skill to do that. Uh, and then there's a lot of hand painting. Um, so on the gear shift, all the numbers got gear one, two, three, four. That's that's all done by hand. Uh, the badges, some of the badges are all done by hand. So so mm. there's a lot done by hand wow. in the process. Then the whole thing is hand packaged into the packaging and shipped to us. That, that's kind of where the that's where the cost issue comes in then because I think a lot of people are on the of the there's a myth I guess that these are factory produced uh, they you know they're knocked out by the by the million in some some factory in China and that's it done but actually it's more a it's more like a cottage industry isn't it because there's a lot of hand finishing and that's where the cost is built in because that's that's going to cost a lot of money to do several hundred thousand of uh, a wing of a DB5 for instance um, yeah whatever it is that's that's kind of where the cost filters through isn't it because it's it, it kind of is it's kind of a cottage industry. 
It's exactly that. It's not mass production. We're not making no. loads of computers no. or iPhones or anything where yeah, you're yeah. just churning them out. Yeah. Our economies of scale are not very good because uh, we are making very small quantities, uh, mm-hmm. lots of handwork done. Uh, because because our quantities are not enormous, it's not worth investing in machinery to make these because uh, yeah. the capital outlay of that would be ridiculous. So yes, because it it's, it's the tooling always, isn't it? I mean, I, I've seen videos of, uh, I guess the parallel for me would be um, Bandai kits, you know, the, the top-end Bandai kits. Um, you know, some of the tooling that they do are huge, and the cost is astronomical. But what you get at the end is this amazingly good uh, you know, injection molding kit. I know you're not injection molding, uh, but you know, for injection molding kits, they are kind of pinnacle, I, I would I would argue, you know, Bandai. The level of engineering which goes into those is just it's just bonkers. You cannot get your head around. But what you get is an amazing kit. And it's kind of the same for you guys, isn't it? The the level of I guess effort you put into uh particularly the tooling, um, and then the the finishing of the parts afterwards, that's why you get a uh, and using quality kit at the end, which you and I can build. Yeah, and it's that quite, we try to replicate the real materials of the real thing. So the seats will be like on the Super Snake, the uh, seats are kind of PVC mm. and are horrible because they're horrible in the real one. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get uh, the, 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 the Jaguary type seats, are, yeah. they again are pretty uncomfortable. I sat uh, in, in the real one, they're, they're not the greatest of seats. Yeah. Um, but uh, but then you've got uh, the the gold wing's got lovely carpets inside, and all the bodywork is metal. So where the real ones metal, ours is metal. Mm. Uh, we've got rubber tires, so we try to replicate. So which means you need different processes. You need sometimes different factories producing different bits. Is that a massive decision for you, uh, for you guys? Then um, do you have kind of this is what we'd love to do with the model as a list, and then that gets whittled down to what's actually possible in real life. I guess I'm alluding to the machine guns. Um, and <laughs> I, yeah, I guess that's where I'm, I'm edging to. I'm, I'm sort of segueing into that conversation there, James, um, because clearly you can't do everything. And I, I've read interviews with you know, with other other manufacturers, and we'd love to have done that, but we just couldn't do that because the price would be astronomical and we couldn't pass that on to you know to to the end customer because there is a limit to, to what uh, you know what these things can can cost so we'd love to do that or what we either can't because of the cost issue or we can't because of an engineering issue so is that is there that sweet spot in the middle you think yeah we've scanned it we can we'd love to do all of this but we can't or at least we can do some of that but not everything and is it is it that you all sit in the room and go, we love to do this, and we we have to come up with you know, a list of stuff we can do, and okay, it pains us to do it, but we have to say no to a lot of other stuff as well. Well, we kind of well, I took the decision early on to say all of our products would be the same price. So whether you buy Optimus Prime, Cobra, the Bismarck, it's the same price. Mm-hmm. So we have that kind of fixed price that we sell our products to so then obviously the cost needs to come under that and we go around so the db5 i went with the guy whose job is to actually make the model work he came with me to photograph this was we went to peterson museum in california and Mm -hmm. um bewley motor museum in the uk And when we're in Bewley, the guy there who's on show the Bond in Motion, he said, do you want to see the machine guns working? 
Uh. Så ja, go on. <laughs> cool, så det er Go for it, yeah. <laughs> he, he got a good gang, and uh, wow. he came out, and he started shooting, and, and there's a video on our, our side of it, and, and, and the lights affect the, the bullets coming out, and it was brilliant. And I, I said I said to Gary, who's with us, I said, oh, we've got to do that. He says, oh, you, you won't be able to do that because the way the guns come out and, and the headlights go down is kind of can't really work in real life because there's bits of the real car in the way. Yeah. Uh, yes. And so so <laughs> so we always have we always have the people whose job it is to actually make this come alive. And then me, who is kind of like, I want this, I want that. It's got to be, got to do this, got to do that. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's always the case that they go away kind of tutting and shaking their guards. Oh, we'll have a look, but I don't think it can work. Oh, it's, it's you, the, <laughs> a couple of weeks later. Engineers, honestly, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, they're the same everywhere. A couple of weeks later, you get you get a message from them going, Look, we can do it by doing this, this, and this, and uh, so now, so now we do have the guns coming out and firing just like the real one. And when you see it in real life on our prototype, it's yeah. just brilliant. And I, I think that's the point of why I do this is because I'm kind of reliving my childhood building and getting these <laughs> really cool, and really good. We're all doing and, that, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'd rather. I'd rather us make less mo- money on the product and spend it on actually getting the guns to work because mm. we could have just had fixed guns sticking out yes, um, and saved ourselves a bit of production, quite a bit of production costs. We wouldn't need the motors and all this. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm making these for me really at the end of the day. Uh, so... So it's that's a very but, expensive toy shop. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, well, there you go. So yeah, it's big boys' toys. We yes. kind of <laughs> that's it. Yeah, it, it's the advantage of going and seeing the real thing as well, and saying, yes, "Oh, indeed. we've got to do that bit. We've got to do that bit." I take it that every 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 part of this process that we've been going through, do you have to feedback what you've done or what you've done to the license holders? Are they involved throughout the whole build? Are they? Absolutely. So right. we so generally they want to see the three D computer version of what you're going to do. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, luckily they'll all be providing us with materials so the real car uh, engineering diagrams sometimes so they give us a lot Um, they give us all the paint codes and everything so we then show them the kind of 3d models we then have to make a prototype uh, which is very close to the finished thing uh, and then they kind of sign that off and then they'll sign off the final production version as it comes off as well Uh, but that's generally a formality because the people we work with are so good at uh giving us the information we need to make the model and you know to be honest what we make uh and and any big scale model just looks fantastic for anyone in the license industry compared you know they'll be comparing ours they'll be getting t-shirts they'll be getting mugs from other people and suddenly they get this great big model (laughs) works and, <laughs> and 
It's a bit different to a mug. Shiny, they love it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the license dogs are—they—they—they are really helpful, enthusiastic. I guess what they do, and generally, when they say you know that bit's not quite right, or or that bit needs to kind of be a different color or whatever, it's always useful and constructive and well, the fans will know final. james the fans will absolutely know if that's not right um <laughs> i know we, we shouldn't call them uh, rivet counters but they are rivet counters they are and, um but that's fine um i absolutely know because i am a rivet counter i am uh you know uh, everybody in this 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 uh, this hobby we've all got a touch of obviously haven't we absolutely and i make absolutely no uh, excuses for it it's also very difficult because a lot of the historical stuff uh like the Aston Martin, uh, certain parts of it, if you go and look at Aston Martin now from 19, mid-60s, mm. some of the parts have actually changed. So like the oil filters have changed, the, the air filters, uh, and they'll, they'll put a modern version of it on. So you have to research what did it look like in 1963 or whatever. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. We also, uh, we took our DB5, we showed it to historian Aston Martin. Mm. Wow. Uh, yeah. And he said... Uh, your rubber pipes, they're all black. They, they were actually originally green. Yeah. And of course, on all the kind of ones you see now, around, they, they are actually black. Uh, mm, so he yeah. showed us what the original should look like. So we yeah. were able to change them to the correct color. Amazing. So yeah, yeah. get a lot of feedback from yeah. from a, the rivet counters, as you call them. Uh, just for uh, the sorry, for, sorry. I, I, know, it, I know that sounds derogatory, but it's not. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, for, for me, that's, that's a compliment <laughs> to detail. Uh, yeah, the the detail guys and uh, historical accuracy and on all the rest of it. Um, I think that's that's kind of what it's. Uh, I do think I do think that one of the big the big skills when you're doing these models is the um, just keeping on top of the the secrecy of it because I was in I was at the Peterson around about the same time you were. I'm surprised we didn't bump into each other. <laughs> but the, uh, the the other thing is is when you did the announcement for the James Bond collection, no one knew. I hadn't got a clue on Christmas Eve yep. when that announcement came up. You had already gone to the uh, the the recording phase of making this massive advert which i again didn't know what it was until the the final reveal at the end i don't know if anyone saw that on youtube on christmas eve yeah, yeah. what a what an amazing launch for that product it was it was, it was a brilliant but to sit on that and knowing that that's coming out <laughs> yes. you must have had a big grin on your face for a long time yeah we also have to tidy up the office any time somebody comes <laughs> in to visit us hide away all the secret stuff i bet yeah <laughs> Well, that's a, actually that's a good point. I, I did want to ask you that. I mean, now you're established. Uh, you know, Gore Models is uh, you know a force in the in the industry. Um, is it that? Are you beating them away with a stick because everyone and his dog must want uh, you to make a model of either their car or something from their TV show or their movie or whatever? Um, is it is it that? Is it a case of um, it's really you can kind of pick and choose, um, or do you still have a sort of hit list um, which you which you guys want to go after? I think it's all of those. We have a hit list. We have all our favourites that we want to do. Mm. We, um, I think in the early days, going to see the licensed guys, you'd have to do a lot explaining who Agora was. Mm-hmm. Now people know. So can, the door's slightly open. Yeah. We, get, we, we go to a lot of shows. We have a lot of communication with uh, the community, customers, and we get a lot of ideas coming in. Um, so we, we take all those seriously and we're working on a few ideas from customers. So it's kind of a bit of everything. 
so what do you think? I think since starting building on my channel, I think that was back in 2016, the whole build-up world for all publishers just seems to have gone through the roof. It seems like this whole model has gone tenfold to what it was, say, 10 years ago. Why? What do you think's caused that? I think, well, us coming on the scene has uh, introduced more choice. So there's more choice, especially in the, the, the bigger scale area. Um, I think there's people like yourself uh, and other YouTubers and influencers have been getting more and more views, uh, mm -hmm. more and more followers have been going up and up. I think um, you've often spoken about the US market. Yeah. Um, you've got people like... Todd McWilliams at Marvel Phoenix, who I think was your, your guest last time. Yeah. Um, Ian at Pitstone Hobbies, Stephen Katrina at the Maker's Cave, really pushing the big scale side of things and kind of educating people to what these are, um, mm -hmm. how you build them. Because it, it is a relatively new sector. When I was building little plastic kits, these weren't around. Um, so it's kind of an education of what they are, uh, how you build them, what they're like. I think yeah. just the whole world has become more online. To me, it seems like that um, with these build-up models, when you actually see the finished model, that's the thing to me. Now, with a plastic kit model, you don't see it finished most of the time. You just see it as sprues in a box. But online, to see a finished model and how it looks and in your promotions of how this is going to look when it's finished, it's not going to be, you know, as you said earlier, about your painting's not going to be up to this standard. I think that's what, what to me, made a lot of people put their ears up and say, hang on a minute, I can get something that's looking just like that. That's uh, well, the, that, the, that's the, the biggest thing I had. The US market's also interesting, isn't it? Because uh, I don't know if, the, if my read is correct, but it seemed to be non-existent for, for these kind of things until relatively recently. Um, mm -hmm. That's an odd one because you would have thought that you know, that marketplace would have been ripe for you know for even the guys that came before before Agora. But it seems only in the last two, you know, maybe two, three, four years that the, you know, the US market seems to have uh, I don't know, it's exploded. Is that the right word? Or at least it's, it's certainly larger than it used to be. Um, and I think a lot of people want to get into into this stuff, maybe because they cause couldn't source it. Um, well, we, I mean, we're in the UK. We see a lot of stuff in Europe, which we'd like to get hold of. And we can't. It just doesn't exist. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or it's going to cost you a fortune to get hold of that stuff into the into the UK. So often, it, maybe it's just a logistics thing. That, you know, if you can't get hold of it for reasonable money, you can't build it, can you? No, and we we kind of ship worldwide, and we have various warehouses around the world. We have an office in Raleigh in North Carolina, which I spend a lot of my time there. Uh, we have fulfillment of warehousing in Florida. Mm. Um, so we're very focused on the US and the European markets equally. I, I've actually lived in America. Uh, I had an apartment in new york city uh i worked in places like colorado california kentucky so i have great affinity with the us um mm -hmm. and kind of understand it a bit more than the average brit it's a fantastic country uh and uh they the, the folks in america they look at things and make decisions differently to how we do in europe okay. uh so i think it's we can talk to and explain our products differently 
uh, and, the, and the whole hobby world to, to to the Americans. And I think that's I think that's helped grow the market certainly. If you are looking to take the detail and accuracy of your models to the next level, Mike Lane Mods has a range of mods and accessories to choose from. Mike is a builder himself, subscribing to the original Eagle Moss build of the DeLorean, Mike could instantly see where improvements could be made. As other builders started to ask Mike to make the mods for their models, Mike Lane's Mods was born. Mike's creativity, attention to detail and enthusiasm for big scale modelling means each mod is carefully researched and then produced by hand so you can be sure that each mod is perfect. Created with a range of high quality materials, Mike's mods often replace or add essential details to each model he supports across his growing range. Whether you want screen accurate carpets for your DeLorean, a motorised roof box for the Ecto-1 or a fully working electronic dashboard for your K2000 kit, Mike has a mod for your model. Find out how you can enhance your models with Mike's latest mods by visiting MikeLaneMods.com. Uh, the other thing I wanted to uh, to touch on as as well, James, is um, I guess modding, um, because that's obviously uh, a huge part of of this uh, you know this this kind of uh, you know building. Um, what's your view of that? Do, do you feel that you know, the uh, you know I guess the you know, the modding community um, they kind of elevate models, they change models, they uh, they do things differently. What what's your view on that? Because uh, obviously you guys strive to make the best model you possibly can. And then someone comes along with a mod. Um, what, what do you what do you think of that? Is is that something that yeah we we yeah we, that's that's fantastic because that elevates what we've sort of given people to to maybe a next level or there's more detail that they want to put into that model and it's absolutely up to up to them. I love modding. Uh, I think we so so we produce a base model. We, are, we get lots of people, especially when we're at shows, they go, oh, I love that Cobra. Do you do it in red? Oh, uh, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. No, it's, no, it's, no we it's blue because... Can I have the seats yeah. in leather, please? And the, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and you do different engine spec. Uh, and we then explain, well, what we do is we scan one specific car yeah. and make that one specific car identical to that. And obviously... There are loads of versions of Cobras, different colours of Corvettes. Absolutely. Mm. So I think mod, modding, we supply a model as best we can. And then there are two, as I see it, there are two types of modders. There's the people who do it themselves. Uh, and they will kind of, they could strip the whole thing down uh, and repaint it in the colour they want. Um, so we've got some people like uh, it's Martin Hughes at Scale War Machines. He's taken mm. our Mustang and he has stripped it down completely and turned it into a barn find. Yeah, so he's wow. kind yeah. of made it all rusty, yeah, completely yeah. wrecked. Um, and so there's that kind of uh, really high skilled modeler modder who really customizes and personalizes their model then there's the other side which are people like chloe from model mods and mike lay who create extra bits for your model and that's for people like me who couldn't make a barn find <laughs> as a model <laughs> uh but would like to add a bit on yes um mm-hmm. and i think what they offer is fantastic and there are a lot of people out there who want these extra bits that we can't do because we are doing one basic model uh, that uh, is good 
for everybody, but some people want to just put that extra little bit on. So I, I, I welcome those uh, those modders, and I think it it gives it widens the community. It gives people something to share online. The photos are fantastic. It gives something for people to talk about because what what we're all doing here is a hobby. It's not not building models just for the sake of having a nice model on the shelf. It's it's the hobby yeah. and the involvement, and we're just Agora is just a, a cog in that whole big community so yeah modders great bring them on well community of course is a, is a big thing i think with uh with modern making in general um i think when i got back back into it uh yeah i i go to my local ipms group every couple of weeks uh and it's just yeah it's just a, a great uh you know a great, a great experience to you know to build with with other other like-minded um i think if you're inside the model uh, inside the model community you kind of understand that if you're outside it looks a bit odd but hey uh it's whatever you do and whatever floats you about uh, i i personally think um we'll be coming to the end of our time um uh, james uh, for, for for this one um i want to ask you i guess uh, guess what's next what's the future obviously you can't uh, tell us uh, what's under wraps but uh you know, where where do you see uh, where do you see a sort of agora going in the in the uh, in the future yeah well of course it's all top secret absolutely <laughs> clearly no sorry um so we're currently launching in spain and italy mm. so that what that means is everything will be in spanish and italian languages yeah mm-hmm. um, seeing so bar models and follow instructions and everything in spanish italian so that's that, that's really interesting for us so gradually over the next few months our catalog will be available in those markets of course, our James Bond collection will continue to expand uh, with some more vehicles from the movies. We've got, so next year, we're working on hopefully next year, we'll be launching a new type of model build to us. Uh, what can I say without giving it away? <laughs> Not much. Um, so it's quite different. It's big scale, obviously. Uh it's has it got four wheels making so no oh <laughs> it hasn't got no. four wheels you heard that first guys it. it hasn't got four wheels. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh so so that will hopefully kind of start previewing that early next year okay uh oh, there's a big there's a big anniversary next year we're doing something really special for um in a way that's not been done before that that would be quite cool so keep you out for that about halfway okay. through the year okay uh, <laughs> but we're just kind of uh going around lots of shows and getting ideas of products and reading what everyone tells us to make uh so uh, continually bring out new products is the uh the short answer Yes, yeah. so sort of death, that, so that list gets longer and longer and longer. Um, well, uh, uh, I say uh, we're, we're come to our time, uh, unfortunately, James. I'm sure we could speak for uh, a couple of hours, but uh, we uh, we have other things to be doing. Um, well, again, I'd like to thank uh, James for for joining us uh, uh, this time on uh, the uh, Scale Modern World uh, podcast. Uh, so until uh, until next time, um, thanks, James, for for joining us. No thank problem, you, James. Uh, well, I'd like to, to thank uh, uh, James for, for taking the time to uh, speak to us uh, today on this uh, this episode of the uh, Scale Model World uh, podcast. Um, well, we've come to the end, guys. I'm afraid uh, we've uh, run out of time. Um, as I said at the beginning, uh, please do get in touch if you'd like to ask us any questions and any queries. 
In the next episode, we'll be talking to uh, Lou Dalmalso, who you may know has a sort of modeling supremo uh, who goes by the name of Aztec Dummy. Um, we had a chat with uh, with Lou um, uh, a while back, and uh, some interesting stuff he's going to impart to us in the next episode. So do uh, do make sure you sign up for all notifications wherever you get all your podcasts. Um, so until uh, the next time, it's a goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Wayne. Take care, everyone. See you later. The Scale Model World Podcast.